1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile
0: banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later.
2: 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess. For elite athletes only. Right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid
1: exerciser or new to working out, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepelotoncom home dash
2: trial. What's up everybody? I'm Sydney Taylor from Metal from the Inside, and you're listening to the Hook
1: Rocks podcast, hosted by my good friend, Jay Scott. <laughs> Welcome back to the Hook Rocks, everybody. It is Jay Scott, your host in the new year, 2021. Happy New Year. If uh, you're still celebrating, I don't know if people are, if it's like a week-long celebration for some. I think people just kind of wanted to get it over with this year. But nevertheless, we continue to be an escape for you, talking music, talking great topics, talking new bands, talking with great artists. And we have one for you today today. We have Mr. Todd Dammit Kearns on the show. Welcome aboard Todd, how you doing?
0: I love it when you use my full name.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how are you? I'm doing well, man. how are things going for you? How's uh, you know how's the weather where you're at? What's going on?
0: Well, I'm in Vegas um, so it's funny because I was just talking to people back home. I'm from Canada originally so And I do miss it on occasion, but my wife always reminds me that we don't have to shovel sunshine, so that's That's some wisdom for you.
1: (laughs) That's true. It hasn't been too bad of a winter so far. I mean, we've gotten some snow, had some cold weather, but nothing like minus 30 that sometimes we get here in Chicago.
0: Yeah, I know, right? Um, You know, it's kind of relative, you know, when you grow up in that stuff, um, you just know and you're acclimated to it and you know you have your selection of winter clothing and that's just how it goes i mean i remember it well it's weird here when you suddenly like go from like well basically it's the reverse here like where the summer's happening you just don't go outside for three months uh because the summer is too hot versus the winter being too cold so it's just kind of a trade up in in one direction and the other
1: yeah i remember i had a friend visit from nashville couple of years ago and, mm-hmm. and she was driving up and she was like what's with people driving 70 miles an hour while there's a blizzard going on <laughs> and I'm like That's well you learn to drive in that stuff yeah, yeah yeah I mean you take driver's ed you're driving in it you're learning in it and it's like no big deal you know
0: absolutely yeah so, I know it's, it's what we, we we grew up driving in, and it's been a long time for me to drive in that so um because I moved like from Saskatchewan where I grew up was Super winter, you know, it was a mega winter, and then I moved uh, west coast to Vancouver, which has that sort of Seattle rainy kind of winter. Um, so I kind of, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty green when it comes to uh, driving in the snow, but I'll get my legs back someday. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know it's a, it's always that first one too. Whenever you have that first experience when the snow first stomp, you know falls and you you know you haven't been driving it in a few months, that's always like the the one time you're cautious. But like after that, for the rest of the winter, you know it's like a racetrack on the on the highway.
0: Well, it's funny because I've lived here in Vegas for 14 years and I've seen it snow I think twice. And it's funny because when you live places where even Vancouver and Canada. That matter when when it would snow and you're no, no one's accustomed to it. It was just like chaos. Like it looked like The Walking Dead. Cars left on hills that they couldn't get up because there's you know, the snow tires. It's it's the whole thing. So you know, it, it's you got to be thankful for wherever you are and whatever you're accustomed to. I suppose.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just you you, you adapt. You know, and and, and you have you to You do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, absolutely. Well we always start the show the same way With the same question every time we have A first time guest and that is the Essence of the podcast just like every Rock song has a hook that sucks you in Every rock fan has a moment Whether it's a song, an album, a band Or a performance that hooked them On rock and roll What was it for you?
0: The actual song uh, Whatever or it was that hooked you Whatever it was Well I gotta be honest it's it it's always been really difficult for me to pinpoint that because, you know, I talk to my older friends and there's always that. And then the Beatles came on Ed Sullivan. And the next day, everybody was in a band. You know what I mean? I'm always like, wow, what an amazing moment that would be, you know, to have that kind of ground zero to, to focus on. Um, I remember like, I, people always ask me like, what's, what's your favorite song? And I always will say, um, Jack flash by the Rolling Stones. I even have some of the lyrics tattooed on me somewhere. Um, just because i remember it's kind of like the first song i remember hearing that made me go whoa 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 what is this i mean i remember being a little kid and and it just had that sort of this sort of like energy to it that really kind of lit a fire under me um so i would probably have to go back to that i think to some degree i would have been a, i mean that song is i'm trying to think what year it came out it's probably around the same age as i am but um maybe a little older but um i know finding my parents Beatles records and stuff like that. You know, because my parents were, they were always into music, but they weren't really obsessive like I became about it. So they had records. My dad was a Johnny Cash and he liked a lot of the Outlaw Country stuff. And then my mom just had, you know, here's some Elvis, here's some Beatles and sort of the four major food groups of (laughs) of rock and roll, I suppose. And I remember staring at those Beatles records and just that sort of, you're a child and it's just a a four-headed monster. You know what I mean? Like they just looked like they all had the same haircut. They, I, I couldn't even tell them apart. You know, I couldn't tell who was singing what. I just, and I think that really kind of, in a weird way, I suppose, without seeing the Beatles and Ed Sullivan, multi, many years after that fact, the Beatles, I think, it did actually kind of like that fire under me. Finding bands like Kiss later on as a kid, um, or probably around the same time, I can't really remember. But I have always said this: um, finding things like Elvis Presley or the Beatles or Kiss to me, they were inspiring in the way that you love music, but I don't think it was the kind of thing that made me want to pick up a guitar because those, those, those characters seemed like, I don't know. They didn't seem like real, they felt like fictional characters. Like kiss were legitimately legitimately comic book, fire breathing superheroes. And the Beatles just seemed like they came from Valhalla and Elvis just seemed like, you know, a demigod of some sort. So when I, I, remember, uh, being a kid and, and, and being in, I went to a movie theater by myself and watched the film. Um, uh, the kids are all right. It's a film about the who. And I remember walking out of that and feeling like really kind of like, I want to do that. Like I felt like for some reason, just watching that aggression and watching that sort of energy of those guys do that. And it led to to a lot of punk rock and a lot of that kind of stuff that, that a lot of us kind of decided, like it's not so much about the technical ability as it is about, you know, the feeling and the emotion and, and, I suppose, the aggression, you know? And I, I think we just kind of, and I, for whatever reason, Pete Townsend really had an effect on me to go, I think I can do this,
1: you know what I mean? There isn't a, a progression of the artist. And you mentioned, you know, the Stones, the Beatles, all of this. You mentioned the Who. Who was it that influenced you or motivated you to pick up an instrument?
0: Well, I think all of those, all of those characters. But I think that, for whatever reason, Pete Townsend was the one that really made me feel like i could do i think I, again when i when I when you look at elvis and you just look at how perfect you know he is at least in the presentation of him and the beatles just being so perfectly put together and kiss having this whole thing sort of dialed in when i looked at the who it just had, had a little bit more of a um a little bit more of a an edge to it or a little bit more like it wasn't quite so perfectly put together it looked like real people were playing this music and i think that made me kind of uh, pick up a guitar. I mean, it really made me kind of go, I think I could do this. So I would hand I would hand that to Townsend. I would hand that to Townsend. I'd hand it to guys like Paul Stanley. I'd hand it to guys like, you know, Paul McCartney and all those guys. I think that just the, the image of, of, of seeing someone playing a guitar, whether it was even something like watching something on Lawrence Welk, you know, my sure. parents would have something like that on, or a musical show, and just seeing Hee Haw was, was oddly enough. My dad loved Hee Haw, so you would watch Roy Clark just shred, and I was like, and I just felt like that image of just a person standing there with a guitar on just looked like it looked it looked right. <laughs> and I said it's sort of been my whole life ever since, I like,
1: When you had that moment where you saw Pete Townsend and you were like, I can do this. This is, you know, what I want to do. Was it the same moment that you wanted to be in a band and eventually get on stage? Or was there someone else that, you know, you saw in concert or you saw a performance that, you know, made you want to get up there? Or was it all just that one moment with, you know, being influenced by Pete Townsend?
0: I think it was all of it. It's funny because I was watching, recently watching the, the Tom Petty documentary, which is fantastic, um, uh, Running Down a Dream. Um, but I, I, it was interesting listening to, you know, a guy, you know, a generation or two ahead of me talking about, you just want to put a band together. You want to put a band together and call it the somethings, you know, <laughs> you just want it to be four or five guys in this gang or this team. And uh, I think that very much, you know, whether it's John, Paul, George, and Ringo, or Gene, Paul, Ace, and Peter, or Mick, Keith, and the guys, you know, you just have this image of like, I need to pick up a guitar, and I need to find other guys like-minded guys, and and actually that happens very quickly because you find, you know, especially in that sort of preteen and early teenage, you find yourself, you know, getting obsessed with this, and you realize that a lot of your friends feel the same way. Um, not all of them have the motivation to go pick up a guitar or pick up a set of drumsticks, but, you know, a lot of your friends, or even if they did, it doesn't mean that they're talented enough to be able to continue, you know, to carry on doing it. But uh, um, I would I would, I would, would definitely hand that to Pete as well. You know, I would definitely hand that to Pete to, have, to say, like, I'm going to do this. And when I say I think I can do this, it wasn't that I thought Pete was, like, you know, uh, I looked at it and I was arrogant enough to think, oh, I can do that. It was more a case of, like, I want to do that. I want to. I felt inspired to do that from because of him.
1: You, you know there's a moment too You know that you go from playing music You know you, you try to emulate your heroes And you know you start playing Who songs and Beatles songs and Kiss songs And then you kind of move into Wanting to write your own music What was that moment like for you Was there an inspiration a song or A group that you really liked What they wrote and connected with you
0: Um, It's funny because in a lot of ways, we started doing that right away. I think it was so hard to play Beatles songs. There's a lot of chords in Beatles songs. You know what I mean? Like, we realized early on that, damn, man, this is not like... Even to this day, you know, as grown men, when you get together with other guys, if you don't if you don't know the songs, they're not really jammers. You can jam, you know, I don't know, some songs you can jam, but a lot of, um, you know, Beatles songs are so arranged and so cleverly put together that, you know if you don't know when to go to that B section, it falls apart. And, um, so very early on, we were already kind of like, I have an idea. Here's this, what's this. And I don't think it was really so much a case of like, you know, thinking that you were Lennon or McCartney or Pete Townsend. You just kind of thought like, is not this sound cool? And then you'd play with your friend and he'd play along and you'd play the drums. And so it kind of happened pretty early on, but I don't think anybody really took it that seriously. It was just kind of like, you know, a bunch of guys making a horrible racket in the garage. <laughs> with patient parents um but we you know uh, you know it sort of became more serious as time went on i think again um you know we we, we a lot of us came up playing in 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 cover bands and, and learning songs of which teaches you a lot about songwriting i think i had a conversation about this the other day about how playing feel songs or playing whichever you know the, the top 40 hits of the day you learn about like the intro into the, into the verse into the pre-chorus and lift in the chorus lift and, and all that stuff that goes on into the solo if, they, if you decide to have that. In. And, uh, again, I got to hand it to Pete Townsend on that as well, because he was, um, a songwriter. And I think I it was around that time when I became so obsessed with, with music and became obsessed with the guitars that I probably started to become obsessed with the actual act of putting a song together, that I probably started to pay a lot more attention to that.
1: You, know, you said something really interesting about how playing other people's songs really teaches you about songwriting. And I imagine, you know, I imagine it's also about the arrangement and the structure. Um, you know, the hook that we focus on too, as well. You know, I mean, a great song always has a hook and it stands the test of time. When you are evolving as a songwriter, what were some songs that really kind of, not so much influenced you, but you took from the structure of those songs? And put it in what you wanted to do.
0: That's a really good question. It's interesting because you know, looking back now, I remember seeing an interview with, um, well, Pete Townsend again, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember saying to the guys, I was in, in in the studio with Slash and the guys, and I was saying, I remember watching this interview with Pete Townsend talking about when they were getting, when they started to entertain the idea of writing Tommy, and he was kind of like his manager, who was. You know, uh, adventurous and uh, Kit Lambert was his name. And he was, you know, what do you think about like making longer songs or making a longer narrative piece? You know what I mean? Like, like an opera. And Pete Townsend was sort of like, but pop songs are two minutes fifty, he would say. And I was thinking like two minutes fifty. So I'm sitting there with the guys and I pull out my phone and I start calling up Beatles songs from back in the early sixties, even, even the fifties, if you want. Because everybody's like, "No, that's no way. There's no way those songs were that short." Because when you when you talking about it right now, you and I can talk about like "Can't Find Me Love" or something like that. And we'll be there's so much going on in that song. That song has to be at least three minutes long. But go back. I'm not sure what it is because I don't have it on me. But I was amazed that so many songs were, you know, under three minutes long. You know, these pop songs. But then, like within a few years, you get into the stairway to heavens. You get into a whole lot of love with it, you know, <laughs> the jam sections in the middle and all that kind of stuff, and and the songs get longer and longer. Cream, Deep Purple, you know, you just and people become, you know, sort of uh, rebellious about the the structure of the song and and all that kind of stuff, and it becomes more, you know, it, it sort of weaves in and out of that because sometimes it, even th- though that kind of thing is happening, there's still people rocking, knocking out three minute pop songs no matter what. Um, I think that. When you talk about what an actual example of, of some songs that made me think, like, um, you know, actual structure goes, I would I would think the Beatles. The Beatles is always a good example. What I what I even to this day, like, I feel like I'm constantly learning something else. Like, I'll be in the car driving, and some song, a Beatles song, will come on, and I'll go. It's interesting that almost like there's a quite a few examples of of a Hard Day's Night and a few other songs where there's a bridge or a middle eight, you call it. That will come up, and which is always kind of like that kind of like extra like seasoning that went into the song that you didn't expect at the sort of three quarter mark. Then they have some kind of solo section. Then they'll go back to that bridge again, and you're like, "Interesting." You know, we don't in. I, I've been working in a sort of more um, an interesting kind of songwriting mode with a lot of people for several years now, and when you sort of just boil it down to, we're going to write a song and it's going to be intro, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, chorus, re-intro, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, chorus, some kind of bridge, perhaps, then maybe a solo section or instrumental breakdown. Then you're just kind of chorus out. You know what I mean? So these sort of structures, you can can get very sort of stuck in your way. No, 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 this is the way songs are written. And you can always get your butt kicked by going back and listening to the guys who did it first. And you go, wow, I... I'm still learning to this day. I think that's the beauty of, of, of music is that there's such a wealth of stuff. I really uh, envy young kids these days to find, name it, the Rolling Stones or The Beatles or, or, or whichever band you find. And just kind of like, because I remember what it was like for me to find The Beatles and realize, oh, there's like, there's a whole wealth of music here. It's a, it's, a, it's an adventure to go out every day and, and or every weekend and try and find another Beatles record. Um, now you can just go on, on your social media, on whether it's YouTube or, or Spotify or whatever, and just listen to everything. But um, that was such a joy for me, is finding The Who and finding The Beatles and finding the Rolling Stones and, and then Led Zeppelin and, and all the things like that. And just it just never ends. It's just sort of, it, like I say to this day, it never ends. I'm still learning.
1: You know, it's amazing when you think back of that period. You know, you had the British invasion with The Beatles and The Stones and The Kinks and... The Animals and all those bands that, you know, came over across the pond. And it was so influential. I mean, it still influences people today. In, in terms of the songwriting, like you were talking about, you went from that and, even, and then you went into like Zeppelin. And even The Who, who was originally part of that British Invasion, started to exper- experiment more with, like you said, longer songs. You know, a an album, you know, with a concept like Tommy and Quadrophenia mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And he had Pink Floyd. When was it? Was it based on you know? Because some of these bands, like Zeppelin, for instance, really jammed out during their their live shows. I mean, you know, they can do a dazed and confused oh, yeah. version of forty minutes long, or whole lot of love thirty minutes long, and it almost is like those albums and those bands back then tried to recreate those that energy that they had live that that sense of chaos that org- that beautiful chaos that they had. And it went from these two-and-a-half, three-minute pop songs to these epic journeys of music and lyrics and symbolism and, and mystery. It was, it's just interesting how in a very short period of time it, it changed. It, 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 it really rapidly developed.
0: It did. It, it's funny, you know, because it feels like from early Beatles, even, even the Beatles themselves started to really stretch out. When you listen to, like, I Want You on Abbey Road, you kind of go this is pretty out there for these guys as far as like sort of stepping away from you know like a a three-minute pop song and um it's funny because as a kid i was so you know like i went from all that stuff that we're talking about and i went into a more of a punk rock thing i also i I can't just glaze over uh speaking of chicago or more rock is 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 cheap tricks influence as far as songwriting and, and rick nielsen's just ability to is uh, an underrated in many, in many cases, uh, I believe as a songwriter and as a player, um, his ability to just kind of like, cause he was such a Beatles guy. You know what I mean? Like, he really kind of created that, this beautiful thing that continues to this day on the sort of formula of what the Beatles had kind of built. So then when I moved into that world, punk rock became sort of the antithesis of sort of the pink Floyds and all that kind of stuff. Cause, and, it was weird for me because coming from a small town and I really appreciate where I came from because I never really law lo- I never really had that thing where you're a punk or you're into metal or you're into you know what I'm saying like new wave or or prog rock it was just sort of music to us because we were it wasn't really it was just too small a town to have a quote unquote scene that you could be a part of you just liked what you liked so one day you'd be listening to the clash and the next day you'd be listening to pink floyd pink floyd and and that you know, was kind of part of the beauty, I think, of being able to kind of walk away and have this vocabulary that sort of covers a a lot of it, you know what I mean? And um, when you get into like things like the Ramones, then you're back to three-minute songs again, you know, with really poppy sort of melodies and really poppy sort of almost, you know, they they almost weren't afraid of this sort of bubblegumness of it. And then, but at the same time, with the advent of heavy metal and that kind of stuff, because a lot of the punk rock stuff also was really sort of anti-guitar solo. Like it was sort of like it was almost frowned upon to be super musical, you know, and nobody really cared how many notes you could play. In fact, it was sort of, you know, go do that over there. You know, here's where we just kind of, it's more about the aggression and more about the the song, I suppose. And um, then of course the advent of heavy metal is again, the guitar player, whether it's like, when you think back in the seventies and you're thinking of Eric Clapton or St Frampton or any of the guys who were really kind of like, you know, really kind of, playing a lot of guitar, you know, and playing a lot of solos and playing a lot of stuff. And like you said, nothing was crazier than putting on Song Remains the Same and realizing that Days to Confused is the whole side of one record. I was fascinated by that as a kid. I go, I can't believe there's, like, one song on the side of this record. Because they would just, they would jam and go into other things and come back and experiment. And I played with Slash, man, and he, if you go on YouTube right now, I, you can find, in Paris, France, a thirty-minute version of Rocket Queen by Guns N' Roses that we played together, and it's literally when you do the math, it's like it's a six-minute song when you look at the album, which is a pretty long for you know two pop songs. Um, so it's a six-minute song with twenty-four minutes of jamming and, and guitar solo, which we love. You know, I think that you know there's a Miles Davisness to it or something. You know, like there's a kind of you come to see someone like Steve I or Miles Davis or an instrumentalist uh, like that you should expect that you're going to see some extended moments, you know, and you're going to see some playing and some throwing down. Um, so I, I like that kind of thing at the same time as I do have a sort of a foundation of like a punk rock sensibility that is sort of like, you know, trimming of the fat as it would be. But at the same time, I think music is, is supposed to be kind of whatever it feels like in the moment. And in the moment is sort of the point, And that's what, I don't. I'm not a jazz guy at all, but I love listening to it. I, I think I love it so much because I don't understand what's happening a lot of the time. But I think there's so much of like when they record something, it's not really based on you know a lot of what's going down in those old old jazz records is kind of what was happening in the moment. And I think we're all kind of striving for that, as well as trying to figure out how to make a song be, you know, universally interesting or or, or sing alongable or whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah, you know, it was almost like the bands, you know, that came out of that era were were like almost pushing each other. Like, oh, you're going to do a 30 minute version of this song. You know, I'm going to do a 35 minute version of this song. And, you know, the guitar playing and the experimentation. I mean, you know, when you think of Zeppelin, you think of that band and you think of John Paul Jones, which is really the backbone of the band. You know, I mean, a lot of that stuff doesn't happen without him arranging the music and being able to adapt, you know, because of the way Bonham played, you know, with Paige and, and all that stuff. And, and you know, Plant even said, you know, when Bonham died, that it was almost impossible for them to get a replacement because they knew each other so well. And for them to bring in someone new and recapture the, the essence of Zeppelin, which is, you know, the jamming to these you know, these blues medleys inside songs, it never would have happened again. It just would be impossible. And you know when you, it, it, when you are in a band and you have that sense of you know just improvisation and you don't know where it's going to go, that that is special. That's really special.
0: Absolutely, I think you know it's interesting because to me, when I listened to live albums like um, "Song Rings the Same" and "Live at Lead by the Who, they were both. What I liked about them the most was they were. You know presenting their material live but it was never slavish to the original versions you know what i mean like there was never this sort of feeling of like we have to have i mean because mostly because when you're dealing with a four-piece band which is essentially three-piece um three-piece with a vocalist um trying to reinterpret what you've recorded which is has so, o- overdub guitars harmony things he's playing there's sometimes some vocal harmonies that are you know it, you, you have to hire like for other players to come on stage sometimes to actually reinterpret what you've recorded. And in, in the modern day um, setting, that's very normal. Like it's very normal that, that the, that the mentality of, of the performer is that, well, at least in the pop and maybe, you know, that sort of, that world where it's kind of like, this is the record that people have heard. They want to hear exactly that line. I was never that way. I love listening to those old records and hearing, when Paige goes through a solo or, or 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 Townsend or whoever that there's no rhythm guitar It just sort of like it's it's kind of become something else and and that alone just makes the song what you're hearing on the live version is because to me it was always kind of like well why don't you just take the album version add some crowd noise and then just release it as a live album <laughs> like, there it is it's me I want to hear something different and I think you know dealing with guys like slash it's like slash has no interest in in uh, click tracks and, and and recorded backing tracks and that kind of stuff. It's kind of like, he's all about the moment. And I understand that world because we, I think maybe in a lot of ways, audiences have become more and more discerning as time goes by. But I think, you know, those moments, uh, you know, like I, I talked to my friend, uh, Phil X from Bon Jovi yesterday. And I said, well, are there moments where you can just, be Phil X. I know you're realizing that you're, you got to play, "Living on a prayer and want to dead or alive, all these hit songs. But is there a moment in the show and he goes, oh, yeah, 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 you know, there's a keep the faith or whatever at the end of the song. He gets to, there's like, you know, a moment for him just to kind of do his thing. And I go, well, that's great because I think it's, it's, it's music, you know what I mean? And, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't think in rock and roll it should be too choreographed or too, you know, the, the the T's don't all need to be crossed and the I's don't need to be dotted. I think there has to be sort of like, you rehearse the hell out of it. Trust me, like in the Slash camp, we rehearse a lot. Slash always, he equates it to being, you know, we're going into space. You know, we need to know how to, you know, how how to survive in this whole, you know, this whole stage situation in front of thousands and thousands of people. And you want it to be muscle memory. You want it to be like you—you you actually want to get to a point where you don't have to think about um, the basics of the song. We're going to sing here, and we got to go to that chorus, and we got—you know—it's also muscle memory. You're just kind of you're in the song, so that when there are the sort of like areas that are kind of more um, open open ended, and you can kind of freeform a bit, that you can just kind of like be in the moment. And flash is always there's never really a rehearsed sort of like you know this this is in the middle of Rocket Queen or in the middle of um, uh, one of the other songs, it's kind of like there's going to be an extended solo section and, and we will uh, (laughs) reconvene when someone gives a nod or someone makes eye contact and and that's how it works. And I I think that that to me feels in in many ways, sometimes the most exciting part of the show is it's always great to reinterpret um, songs, but it's sometimes really great to just have this sort of like, we can do whatever we want right here, you know, and, and, and feel how and just sort of like do what we feel and and see where it goes.
1: Yeah. I've I've told the story a few times about years ago when the Eagles first reunited and the hell freezes over tour, I went with Mm -hmm. a bunch of buddies of mine and I saw it. It was a great show. I'm like, wow, this is awesome seeing the Eagles reunited. And it was incredible. And then, and then like a few months later, I took my girlfriend to go see him and it was the same show. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of a bummer, you know, they didn't really do anything different. right? And then I bought a bootleg a couple months later that was like 50 bucks from Giant Stadium. And I put in, I'm I'm playing it, I'm like, all three shows are exactly the same. And I'm like, well, that's no fun. I'm like, you know, it's, I mean, I understand why bands do it and I, I, I get it. But I would like to see a little bit more improvising and just a little bit more fun up there instead of everything being the same every show you know and and saying the same things in between the songs and i I get why it happens but as a fan as a music fan i would like to see a little bit more you know danger a little bit more of a journey
0: well yeah i mean i mean that's kind of a i I certainly have nothing uh, no criticism for anybody who sort of has their show dialed in enough because a lot of these huge shows um I'm sure Beyonce or anybody like you know at that level where it's kind of like there's a million moving parts in place or there's pyro there's screens those shows are basically almost a broadway show being put on every single night and there's a beginning and the middle and an end and that's the way it works and um you know with 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 the slash band we we um, we try to change out songs you know when you go to Europe you look down at the front row, it's usually the same people every night because they follow us around and you get to know them and you become friendly with them. And, and it would mortify me to think that, you know, the people come to the show and go, it's exactly the same show every single night. And you say exactly the same thing. But, um, but that said, it's, you know, there's certainly nothing I understand when you kind of have it down and you know something that works. If you're a fan of stand up comedy, you sort of, it's sort of surprising the first time you realize that take your pick, George Carl and Eddie Murphy, whichever show you've got in your brain that you saw on HBO or something back in the day or a home video or whatever, it's sort of like hurts your brain to think that no, 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 no. George has been on the road for a year doing these, this whole shtick at every club in the country. And then once he's got it kind of dialed in, he goes, okay, get the cameras. We're going to shoot the, the special. And that's what he does. You know? And it's like, so, they, comedians can, uh, in some ways think of jokes as songs. It's kind of like people come to the show and they want to hear this joke or that joke and that kind of thing. And, and there's going to be some, some leeway and there's going to be some live moments when it comes to crowd participation, talking to this person, talking to that person. Hey, hello, New York. Here's my New York bit. There's a Chicago bit. There's, you know, wherever he happens to be, changes up. So with that, cause it's a whole other art talking to an audience. You know what I mean? And and that's a really difficult thing to, um, it's a difficult thing to, to criticize anybody who might have his sort of go-to things of what to say, because it's essentially like being, you know, a public speaker or being a stand-up comedian and and just knowing what works when you say this particular thing. But instead of Chicago, I'm going to say New York tonight because I'm in a different town. Um, you know i you you look back at some of your favorite people and 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 uh uh like I went through a whole James Brown rabbit hole not that long ago, and I don't know if he's doing that same show if he was doing that same show night after night, but I would have never been disappointed to see that four times in a row <laughs> it was just so so like uh, off the charts energy wise and just and just so musically mind blowing and and him just doing his thing you know it was just so. There is a certain amount of like, you know, in the moment when you went to see the Eagles on the first time you saw them, your mind's blown, you walk away, you see it again, and you go, oh, okay, it's exactly the same set list. There's a lot of moving parts, again, even in a show like that. There's a lot of guys and a lot of songs. But, you know, we, we talk about it all the time in in, in the slash Camp and then talking to my friend Phil again from Bon Jovi or any of these guys who are playing in, in sort of heritage artist bands. You know, what's really exciting to me is when Phil says to me, well, I was supposed to have the week off today, but John just called me a 15 new songs they added to the set. And I go, that's awesome to me. You know, it's like, I think John Bon Jovi or anybody who's sort of in charge of the thing is aware enough that his audience has a lot of, you know, expectations and and they are repeat customers. So when they come to a show and, uh, you know, they saw the last leg of the tour, they'd like to see it's kind of juggle, you know, uh, juggle up the set list a bit, and which is what we try to do in the Flash Camp is sort of every night we have a few songs that we can kind of interchange and here and there and, and often in the middle of the tour or, or a few weeks into a tour it's kind of like we should add this other song and we all got to kind of you know, um, woodshed on that and uh, it just makes it different and it's good for the art for the musicians as well because if you have a show that's really sort of routine it can be really um, it can really play on you after a while to be like you know, like your passion for it in a way. Like um, I was talking to another friend of mine, Doug Aldrich. Um, he plays in Dead Daisy now, but he played in Snake and all these bands. And he said, you know, he always said that, you know, I never really thought of it quite that way, but he loves to have it like where, because if it becomes too routine, you start to kind of like, you start thinking about like, I got to make sure I pick up milk from the drive home tonight, <laughs> or, <you> know, <laughs> or I got to call so-and-so. And you're like standing in front of tens of thousands of people and they, you want to be in that moment. And nothing makes you more in the moment when you realize that the safety net's been removed, and if you don't keep your eye on the ball, you're going to fall so um I think you're I think I'm with you as far as trying to find a balance between you know playing the songs people want to hear or, or doing stuff that people want to enjoy but at the same time having moments that can kind of be a little bit more real or in the moment
1: yeah, a moment that will take you. You know, you, you might be present at the show physically, but a moment that can mm-hmm. take you away, you know, kind of just, you know, just be in awe of what's going on, and not, an unexpected moment can always, you know, enhance the the, the performance and enhance the experience. It's just, uh, you know, I, I I mean, I have a I'm a big Zeppelin bootleg collector, and I you know I think of and all the stuff that I've listened to over the years with these you know jams that they would do, and it's just like, man, I can't believe that they. Did that, you know, and 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 a lot yeah, no, it, yeah. no, no two nights would be the same. It right. just it would be that simple. Yeah. So the new project is Minefield, and the two new songs yeah. are are Home and Alone yeah. Together. And how did this project come about?
0: Well, um, Jeremy Asbrock and Matt Star both play in Ace Fraley's band. So um, it's funny because you know in this whole weird um, music world where you cross paths with people and, and you really, you know, I, I love that guy. He's great. Oh, this guy's fantastic. That guy's really talented. And um, we do the kiss cruise together almost every year. I often do um, sit in with Bruce Kulick from um, the non-makeup years of kiss. I sing in a, in a band with him and our, and our drummer, um, Brent Pitts from the Slash band. He plays in that. Our friend Zach throne from Corey Taylor's band, Corey Taylor from Slipknot. Um, and we do like a whole set of non-makeup KISS, 80s and 90s KISS, which is a blast. And then so Jeremy and Matt play in Ace Fraley's thing, which is just over there, you know, within this sort of, on this KISS family tree. <laughs> so we always love each other and really, really friendly. And Matt and I have played together and Jeremy uh, is just a guy I admire. And one day they, Jeremy reaches out and Matt reached out too and said, they were doing this project um, with this kid, Brandon Field. Um, and uh, we just, you know, we're looking, I think I was initially asked to sing on one song. And I was, Yeah, of course. And this was during COVID, which made it specifically like, I was at the beginning of, co- of the whole lockdown situation, like anybody, I was sort of like, I'm one of those people who's really wired that every single day I wake up and I've got a calendar of things I need to do that day. And when that calendar certainly was suddenly was irrelevant, it took me a couple of weeks to kind of really, okay. So I can just sit here and watch, you know, whatever, an episode of, of this Netflix show turns into the next episode, turns into the next episode. And You know, I sort of embraced that because uh, a lot of guys like Slash and miles Kennedy and a lot of my friends, you know, were sort of, you know, very goal and career oriented as far as like what you want to try and achieve. But, um, so sometimes these forced breaks are important. And uh, I tried to take advantage of that. And then all of a sudden the phone starts ringing and guys like Matt and Jeremy are like, hey, man, we're doing this project. And I go, okay, great. And I talked to, to Brandon, the kid, this uh, the guitar player, and he goes, he sends over a track and then another track and instrumental tracks and just demos. And, and I just found myself, you know, you know, it was just sort of really lit a fire under me because I was not doing anything, you know, and I, and I was sort of like very creative and, and it's always good. And I always recommend this for almost anybody to kind of like, whether it's music or whatever is your thing is to just kind of once in a while, dip your toe in another pool because it sort of makes you kind of go, wow, I, I you know, it's a lot, it's a little bit more like unapologetically hard rock. Um, than some of the other things that I was doing at the time, because, flashing I mean, the Flash thing is, 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 is a major focus in my life, but a lot of the other things that I do um, can be uh, my, my Canadian band, uh, Took, uh with my friend uh, Brent from Flash's band and Corey from Shania Twain. We do a whole other thing, and it's a lot more sort of a slick pop kind of oriented thing. And then this thing was a lot more like big, bombastic rock kind of band, you know what I mean? And I was like, well, great. I can sort of like take away the restraints of, of what you sort of feel sort of you know, in a corner over there kind of go, well, I gotta be more like slick or more, you know, clean on this. And then over here you get to in the minefield camp. It's like, you know, you just take, just go for it. So it happened pretty quickly in that, you know, like I said, I was initially asked to sing a song. And then I was, then it was another song. And I was like, well, who's playing bass on this project? And they're like, well, we don't know yet. And I go, well, I'll play bass. So it it went from being, um, just to, you know, sing on a couple of songs. There still is a, a few songs on the record that we have a couple guys coming on. Uh, Jeremy actually, the guitar, one of the guitar players, ends up singing a song on there, and Brandon singing a song on there. But you know, it just sort of turned into this thing where we just suddenly had uh, an album's worth of material. And and the, the most interesting part about it is that none of us were in the same room at the same time, which is a a first for me. Um, I mean, I've I've done a lot of things where in this day and age where someone can send files over, can you play on this, can you sing on this, sure, boom, send it back. But I never actually did a project that was sort of, you know, I mean, like, I'm such a stickler of like, when we talk about all those Led Zeppelin and and the Who and Beatles and the bands like that that I love, um, you're supposed to be in a studio together. You're supposed to be looking at each other. In the Slash Camp we do, we're in a studio together, we're making eye contact, we're playing together. In some instances, stuff's going down live, like rhythm tracks are going down live, and that's the way I prefer to do it. But it really sort of taught me that there's really no rhyme or reason to it. You kind of, when things are, when creativity happens and all that kind of stuff, it's sort of more about like, go for it. You know what I mean? And and this is, we can't even be in the same room together. Um, Jeremy's in Nashville. uh, Brandon's in Kentucky somewhere. I don't know where the hell he is. And Matt's in LA and I'm in Vegas. So it's like, okay, well, we just keep sending tracks around. We keep sending around files and, you know, Matt's doing the drums and then we'll put some guitar on it. I'll sing and put some bass on it. And it, it turns out great. You know I mean? The next thing you know, you're, you're hearing something like alone together on the radio or, or, or on the internet or whatever. And, and it's like, wow, this is it's so cool that that came together like that, you know? And, it really sort of opened my mind to like all these things that we, we would consider, like, you know, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to record separately. And now it's sort of opened my mind to like almost anything that's possible. And I think that's, that's a good place to be.
1: You mentioned, you know, this was dipping your toe in a different pool. Was that important for you, you know, during COVID and, and being under lockdown to kind of do something a little different to change things up?
0: it is for me and I, I'm not just during COVID I'm, I'm like, I'm a, you know, I started as a bass player when I was a kid, which is usually just kind of like, you know, I was a kid, I could barely play. And, um, I had a bass, <laughs> So that kind of, that meant you're the bass player. And I was playing with guys like, you know, five to 10 years older than me, um, at like 14 years old, 15 years old. And, um, so, I started off as a bass player. I would have been perfectly happy just to have been like, I was, all I want to do is be in a band. This is the best thing in the whole wide world, playing in front of people. Great. That could have been the end of the story. But then, you know, then you start singing and people go, okay, make him sing this. And the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're the singer somehow. And you're like, and it's a great deal of responsibility. And it's, you know, you're like, oh, wow, how'd this happen? But, um, and then you start writing, you know, getting the writing songs aspect and that kind of stuff. So, um, so what I find now is, you know, cause especially back then, I put a band together with my, with my younger brother in Canada, went on to be pretty successful. And, um, in my absence, while I was off playing all these other bands, my little brother had picked up the bass. So when he and I put a band together, I said, well, okay, I'll move out front and play rhythm guitar and sing. Um, you know, Paul Stanley or something. And, uh, so that, that is a big part of it is being a bass player, being a guitar player, being a singer. Um, playing some keyboards, playing some drums. It's almost kind of like when you talk about like dipping your toe in another pool, it usually means, you know, do you want to sing on this? Do you want to play bass on this? Can you play guitar on that? So all these different projects that I do, I'm usually doing something markedly different from one to the other. In Flash's band, I'm the bass player, and I handle all the harmony vocals with Miles. I sing a few songs live um but that's a different thing in minefield i play bass and i'm the lead singer for the majority of the record in my Tuke band i'm the rhythm guitar player lead singer in the paul stanley position so it's like um all these things in bruce's band as well i'm sort of handling the paul stanley position um so all of these things really um that's why i dip my toe in so many pools is because I have all these things that I want to do. Still to this day, I keep saying, someday I'm going to put together a garage band. I'm going to play drums. And that just hasn't presented itself yet uh, because I'm not Neil Peart, you know, by any, any stretch of the imagination. But I love playing music, and I love playing, and I think that that would be really cool to be on stage seeing you know, this late in my career, to be seeing that perspective from back there, like this whole other version of how things could be. Um, so for me, it is important. It is important as a, as a songwriter, as a singer, as a guitar player, as a bass player, is as as being able to do all those things. And until one of those projects becomes so busy, which always happens in the flash camp, and we do it, where you know it's uh, two years of my life means I'm doing that. You know what I mean? So um, in the meantime, everything else is, uh, scratches a lot of other itches.
1: Was it hard for you to be creative? you know, while, while the pandemic is going on? I mean, I've talked to a lot of different artists who didn't have any issue. You know, they can tap into that well of creativity and be fine. And there's others that found it difficult because they're doing the same things every day. They're not living the life that they usually do where they find inspiration or they, they gain inspiration by doing different things and experiencing different things. What was it like for you? Um,
0: It's interesting because... Um, when you uh, I'm a big believer in you just kind of got to sit down and do the work. You know I mean? Like I remember reading a, an interview with Stephen King, the writer one time, and it just was, I was really surprised by the fact that he sort of like had this real sort of blue collar, you know, hard hat kind of mentality about it. Like you just kind of like I wake up in the morning, make a pot of coffee and I sit down and I write. And some days there's great stuff. Some days there's nothing some days it's crap, some days, you know, and you kind of go, and I just had this sort of like moment of like, I had no idea that's the way, I I assumed it was like, you know, was just struck by this idea. And I have to sit down and just get this out of my system. And, you know, it was just magic, but it never really is quite as magical as you think. Um, Obviously the magic is, is the idea and the sort of like this tiny little spark that you try and build into this gigantic bonfire. Um, So for me, um, I think we're constantly challenged by, you know, creativity. I think that, you know, I, I've often used the excuse that, like, if I'm not writing, living your life is still a portion is part of the act of writing because, um, you know, you're frustrated or your heart got, got broken or you know what all these different things, all these life experiences that you're having, so that say that goes on for a month. If on that thirtieth day you sit down and start writing a song it's probably going to be informed by everything you've lived in the last 30 days. Um, you know, whatever those happen to be. So, um, so that wasn't, you know, there, I wouldn't say it was a challenge when, when, um, the lockdown happened in a lot of ways. I sort of write more based on project to project. It's sort of like, I find it a lot easier to kind of be like, I used to be a lot more kind of just write songs and throw them in the pile. i just kind of like, but now it's sort of more like if there's a project in mind, it makes it a lot easier to kind of like go, okay, you know, say it was a hard rock thing, and this is a very heavy metal thing, and this is a very, you kind of would know what your kind of headspace is, and you know what the goal in mind is. So I think I feel very fortunate that with the Tuke project and then with Minefield, and then eventually Slash, um, these things they come up. And it makes you kinda get off the couch. You know, I, I, I've used the excuse too many times. It's like there's always something on TV. You know, it's like there's we live in a renaissance age of like, have you watched this series? Have you watched this? And it's like, you know, next thing you know, you're on the couch for eight hours watching some series that I never really thought about. But um I find, you know, life is distracting and you really have to I really take into account that Stephen King idea of you know, if you really want to uh, Achieve something. You kind of got to get up and look at your day and decide: Am I going to sit down and, and be creative today? And, and creativity is really something you kind of have to go and sit down and put pen to paper or guitar in hand and, and, and just sort of
2: kind of make it happen. And
0: like you said, it's like yeah. For some people, they might have considered you know there was just they couldn't find an inspiration, but that usually just means that. um you know, it was just, they had a few days where nothing happened. And that happens all the time when you're, when you're trying to be creative or, you know, writing songs, you sit down and you play some stuff and you noodle around and, and sometimes it's not as productive as others. And then, but then I often find it sort of like, there's a a few days when it's sort of like, I'm going to write some songs. So you sit down on day one, not so much day two, not so much day three, a little bit day four, getting a little bit more. So it's almost kind of like a, it's sort of like you have to kind of get past this, this wall that you've kind of built up by just not being creative. So, um, and I think that just the more you do it, like anything, like a muscle, like anything else, it's like the more you do it, the more it can happen. You know, and I think uh, it's different for different people too, who have like, everybody has their way of doing things and sometimes being thrown into the deep end of the pool and being told, um, we're going to write a song today. And I forced myself to do that on a number of occasions where my, my friend and I will walk ourselves in the studio and go, we don't have anything to start. We don't have a riff. We don't have a, a lyric. We don't have a title. It's kind of like, we're going to write a song today. And it's like, okay. And at the end of the day, you have a song. And it wouldn't have existed if you hadn't locked yourself in there and made yourself do it. So I think that's important to do as well.
1: As a fan, I'm really excited that because there hasn't been a lot of live shows and in people staying at home, you know, musicians staying at home. I'm excited about all the material that's going to be coming out over the next year to two years, because of, you know, what what do musicians do? What do songwriters do? They they write songs, and they've had more time to do it than ever. And I'm excited about all that's going to be coming out. I'm excited about all that new music.
0: Oh yeah, it's going to be a traffic jam, dude.
1: <laughs> like I'm paying a lot of attention
0: to. Twenty Twenty, like uh, Bon Jovi put out a record called Twenty Twenty. Corey Taylor put out a record. Um, CMFT, uh, I think X-M-F-T it was. Put out a
1: record. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So I've been watching it because you know in the slash camp we've been paying a lot of attention, and there was sort of like a well, we got to take advantage of this downtime and do something pr- productive and creative. But at the same time, it's kind of like you know you talk to people in the business and they're like, "You can hand me a record today." I don't. I don't know what we're supposed to do with it because. We could put it out, but you can't really in the record industry is so different now. Back in the day you'd put out a record. Um, that was actually kinda like more you know, would more dictate how things were gonna go was the actual record that you you handed in. You could make a living off of record sales. Now records are almost an excuse to go on the road and make where acts make their money. That's so why the Rolling Stones are still Stone, on the road, Aerosmith or any of the KISS, any of the Heritage Acts, um, they make all their money on the road. And uh so for bands like us or, or you know musicians like me, it's kind of like, well, I can't go play anywhere. Uh, it makes, it changes the, uh, the motivation, but at the same time, uh, this isn't going to last forever and what a perfect time to, to create, what a perfect time to make music and, and to write music so that when things are ready, we have a whole bunch of stuff to present. And I think that, that that's really where we're at is, you know, I, I've, I keep saying to my friends, I go, when they finally lift this thing, it's going to be, whether you're in Chicago or Detroit, there's going to be five bands in town tonight to go see. Cause everybody's going to be wanting to go back on the road. Everybody's going to want to go play. Um, and it's going to be a traffic jam of, of, of musicians and bands that you love coming to town. And you're going to be forced into a situation of, and I think that like everybody, we've all taken it for granted that we could just go and play music forever. And maybe we've all taken it for granted that we can go and see live music forever. um, having people like Eddie Van Halen pass away this year or last year um, really made me realize that, wow, I'm never going to see Van Halen again, you know, or Prince or Bowie or any of those people that, you know, you just kind of realize that none of this lasts forever. And some of our heroes, all of our heroes really are getting older and, and it's really no excuse to say, I'll go see the Rolling Stones next time. there, <laughs> you know, it's, it's time. It's Paul McCartney put out a record that, you know, it's like, uh, it's, we, I'm looking forward to, it. I'm very excited as, as, as hard as it's been, I'm really excited to see, like you say, there's a lot of things that have been implanted and a lot of, it's going to be a forest of music <laughs> growing around us and it's going to be, it's, bang. it's going be a renaissance year for, you know, for, for new music.
1: Yeah, I have, I have my, my thought on not releasing music during a pandemic i I believe especially the way rock and roll has positioned itself over the past decade or so, where you know it's it's been struggling to remain relevant in terms of you know compared to pop music or hip hop and you know you you've it's been down in terms of the popularity with the youth over over that mm-hmm. you know, over the past several years and I think and I've said this before rock and roll needs that angst and that anger of the youth to come back again and I think out of this pandemic if something good out of some comes out of something bad I think it is for rock and roll to take advantage of the way the youth is feeling I know I have a 16 year old son he's going to be 16 in a couple weeks he loves rock music and he's you know it sucks doing the same thing every day and you know, when they're used to listening to the music that they listen to that's kind of been crammed down their their throats over the last decade, and now they have something new, whether it's inspired by the new ACDC album or whatever it is, you know, I think it is. uh, It's going to be a great moment for rock music over the next three to five years.
0: I think so as well. I mean, we always laugh about that whole thing because when you live in North America, it's sort of more... I think like the world in general is driven by whatever is really happening and really popular in the, in the bigger sense of the word and everybody tells us how rock and roll is dead and then you know we get in a on a bus together or on a plane together and play in front of you know whether it's Australia or South America or Asia or Europe or you know it's just like everywhere we go there's rock and roll people and they're young like in the slash camp you know people assume that you know in some ways guns and Roses or something like that would have more of like a heritage act Um, uh, audience which of course they do but you'd be surprised how many young people show up with Guns of roses t-shirts on or at kiss concerts or at aerosmith you know and i think that you have to keep in mind that a lot of these kids are going to put bands together and they're going to make music and they're going to make something really interesting so you know it's like my friends would always you know i have a lot of rock and roll friends and they'll they'll be complaining about the grammys or they're complaining about this award show or this or that and i'd be like dude when I was a kid, I never saw Iggy pop on the Grammy Awards. It's like, it doesn't make any difference to me in whether it's 2020 or 2021 or, or 1985. It was kind of like my favorite bands and my favorite artists were never really in that world anyway. So to me, it's kind of like, you know, maybe as time goes by, we might look at this as sort of becoming a niche market or or like jazz or something like where we kind of like play rock and roll and uh, it's a selective audience. I'm like, I'm cool with that. But music is always about the youth and whether it's your 16 year old son or whoever, someone's going to come along, man. And it's going to blow our mind. You know, it's like, uh, you know, in the same way that, you know, it, it might not be exactly what, how we remember rock and roll, but is it ever, I mean, like, you know, the, the things we complain about now as grown men, Oh, in my day, you know, it's like the same people were complaining about the music we like, you know and You know, the, we love that came up. So, um, I'm excited for that, actually, more than anything else. I, I can't wait to be 65 years old and go, damn, dude, have you heard this band? They're awesome, you know, or whatever. So um, we'll see, we'll see. But I, I think you're, you're not wrong, though. There's going to be a lot of great rock and roll. I mean, and the ACDC record is a very good example of a record that comes out, and you see everybody kind of unite around the fact that, like, this is great. You know, we can, we can talk about, like, I prefer this and I prefer that, but a new ACDC record comes out, and we all kind of look at each other and go, like, yeah this is awesome It's awesome because it's it's the spirit of rock and roll and it it never changes it's sort of the same whether it was nineteen eighty two or two thousand and one or two thousand twenty one sorry
1: yeah no i I do think you know when you celebrate music like a c d c you know and you celebrate what makes rock and roll great I think that's when rock and roll comes back. I know we've talked about. The you know Miley Cyrus going into rock music and everyone going oh it's gonna be great she's gonna bring fans into rock I don't think that ever transpires I don't think it ever that ever happens I think celebrating what rock and roll does great and what they do what it does well is more than enough to bring back rock and roll to to the younger generation. You know, I, I don't think there needs to be any smoke and mirrors or any any you know crossing over artist or whatever f- for that to happen. If it does, it's very minimal. But I think you know when we celebrate, like you just said, everybody looks at each other and says, "Wow, this is a kick ass album." That's what brings back rock and roll. That's what that that's the essence of it.
0: Absolutely, I think that you're 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 not wrong in, in terms of like you know rock and roll is dangerous. You know, I mean rock and roll. Like I just I, once in a while I'll see like. little richard clip and i'll go oh my god because you can't you it's weird to look at things from the perspective we have now you really have to kind of go like no it's 1950 whatever and this comes on television (laughs) and you just say to yourself everybody would just be like what is this this is like first of all you have people just naturally um attracted to that and, and just really excited by what is this music and then you have other people who are just like this is the devil Uh, this is the end of the world happening right now in musical form because it's so dangerous. And so, you know, it has all those elements, whether it's um, the sex, drugs and rock and roll aspect of it. And, um, you know, a lot of, of the danger side of it in rock and roll has all been replaced by hip hop because, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of angsty hip hop and a lot of like really dangerous sounding uh, music in that world. And I understand it a hundred percent. I totally get why, Um, kids are really into that and you know in some ways maybe you know people might call it you know dad rock or something you know my kids always you know they refer to like deep purple or something like that they'll call it dad rock and it's not an offensive term it's just sort of like to them that literally is a long time ago um it's a long time ago for us you know like look back at like i don't know you know Machine Head or any of those records is a long time ago. So, um, but there's still something when you you see the look on a kid's face when you're they're just sitting there and Foxy Lady comes on the radio. And they're, it's kind of like, damn, what is this? And You're kind of like, that's Jimi Hendrix, you know? What I mean, it's like, and someday some kids going to go, damn, that's badass, and they're going to pick up a guitar and and they're going to find their own version of that, and it's going to be it's going to be exciting. And like I say, it's you know, like like everything that's angsty and and full of attitude. It it gets it gets sanded down. All the rough edges get sanded off. It gets polished up. It gets you know the corporations get too involved, and then and it starts to lose its dangerousness. And that's when things sort of the next wave of, of what's going to be dangerous comes out. So I'm uh, it's going to happen. Mark my word.
1: Yes, yes, I, I agree too. I mean, you know, <laughs> I I just you know think of my son. My son's in a CCR. Uh, journey going on right now like he's collecting all the music cool. from ccr and you know we were he put the disc in my car and, and i'm we're listening to it And i go now think about this this song was made over 50 years ago and here you are at 15 yeah. listening to this i mean think about a great yeah. song think about what makes a great song the fact that you generations after are intrigued by this and want to listen to it and i think that's that's just tremendous
0: well, you know I, I, I hate to uh, I used this quote yesterday when I was talking to a friend of mine and I, I feel like it feels silly to quote myself but it does really make you feel like there's no such thing as an old song because it's new to somebody you know what I mean and that's what and you know and that that emotion um, that hits you when you're hearing something profound for the first time whether it's you know, hundred years old or 50 years old or three years old. Like just the other day, I, you know, I, I heard, um, Robert Plant and Alison Krauss song. I was just like, damn, this is, I totally forgot it. That this, that this happened, that, that, that record had come out. And I, and I was like totally into it. And I went back and I realized it was three years old. I went three years old already. Wow. But, um, that's the beauty of it. You know, it's, it's always sort of new. And, and what I found, and I'm sure you can probably attest to this as well, is when, when you've been around a while, sometimes a song that you didn't even really pay attention to will suddenly speak to you like uh, like Springsteen or, or Bob Dylan or something like that. You've heard your whole life and you kind of like, you're aware of it, but you never really had that kind of like sit down and like, listen to the weight of what's being said or, or whatever. and just go, wow, this is, this is amazing. So again, that's new to me. You know, this song that's been around for 30 years is suddenly like brand new. And, and then it can happen it can happen to you again where you, you know, a song that really touched you as a kid can be can touch you all over again you know in a different way and in a, in a new way and that's that's really the awesome thing about music to me is it's it, 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 it's magical and it's sort of like and it's almost too hard to really try and analyze why it is it just is
1: well I, I love <laughs> when that happens you know when you've listened to an album throughout your life and then you don't listen to it for a while you you put it back in your car stereo, or at home, and you're listening to it, and you hear a song that, like you said, you passed over, you didn't really have an interest in, but because you're, you've are you been living life, and you've experienced different things, and you've been different places, and you've tried different foods, and all these things kind of go into your brain, and you're growing as a person, the song sounds different, and it sounds awesome. Like you said, it's like a brand new song.
0: It's the same as, you know, when you, when you fall in love, or when you get your heart broken different songs speak to you at those two different places. You know what I mean? That's like, you know, and, and you never really thought about it until you're going through that experience or you lost a job or your somebody passed away. You know, these, these, these different, these really monumental or your kid is born or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, there's, you know, there's so many different things about joy and grief and all those elements and everything in between that music speaks to. And it, and it depends on where you are in your life, which songs can suddenly like Thank you. Like I remember like, you know, like, you know, just like finding songs that were just so generic pop songs that were on the radio and just going like, dude, this song is actually really involved and really, really heavy and really smart. I'm like, I'm so blown away by what this person is saying. I can't think of anything else out of my head that I'm quoting, but, but it happens quite a lot. Well, I hear like, you know, just like stock 80s pop songs that I, I haven't thought about in a long time. It'll come on the radio and I'll go like, wow, this is really clever and really Really smart. And, uh, and a lot of that has to do with, like you said, like I've been around the world a hundred times. You know, I feel very fortunate to, to see the perspective of a, you know, of how things work in China and how things work in, in South America. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just like I, even when I say how they work, it's just in like this hint of my being there for a moment and, and seeing how they, they would relate because, you're playing in front of these different faces every night from different cultures all the time. And they, and they relate to rock and roll in the ceremony and the celebration of rock and roll, no matter where they are or where they're from or where they came from. It's sort of like always the same, not the same, but it's sort of like they just react to rock and roll. And, uh, we should all be so lucky to have that, that impact, you know, knock on wood.
1: Absolutely. Well, well, Todd it's been a great conversation um I really enjoyed this I'm excited about the me too me too yeah I'm excited about the new minefield record that's gonna come out is that when when is that release gonna happen
0: officially it comes out in February which is actually like back when when the, when, the, when the when February came up originally I was like oh that's so long from now but now when I say it right now I realize that's next month so yeah <laughs> it yeah. just blew my mind and I just blew my own mind but uh yeah so we uh the full length will be out next month. Uh, it's uh, it's really great. We really enjoyed it. And like I said, it really comes from a very honest and magical place of just four guys who just love music and just start throwing stuff around, and boom, there's some music.
1: And what about anything new with Slash? Is there anything on the horizon with that?
0: Well, we're hoping to knock out... Uh, some kind of recording during 2021. There's really no, I, I really have no idea how that will work or come out. It might not come out from in 2021, who knows? But, you know, we're slowly kind of trying to chip away at that. Uh, we haven't really ever all been together due to the way things have been in quite a while. A few times we've tried and a few times we've had sort of parts of us together. I've been involved pretty much the whole time. Slash and I are sort of, uh, because I'm just always sort of up for almost anything and the way different guys were in different parts of the country in lockdown. Um, I just sort of like, you know, Slash and I were sort of together. So I've been over there a lot and uh, we've been knocking files together back, you know, back and forth if we're not together. Um, but once, once the, the gang gets together, we'll be able to knock that out. The other project I have is the, is the band too with Brent Fitz and, and Corey Churko. We've been writing new music and that will see the light of day sometime this year as well. So it's, uh, you know, it's been a very like I said, like like you said initially, it's been a very creative time. There's been a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of planting of seeds, and now it's time to get ready to see those come into fruition.
1: That's awesome. Looking forward to all of it. Thank you again, Todd. I do appreciate it. Uh, great guest, great conversation. You know, hope to do this again. Absolutely, man. Take care. All right, everybody. That's Todd Damick Kearns. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thank you.